Welcome to the Sawyer Highlands and Converge Community Church Sermon Podcast. This is Season 2 with a brand new series on the book of Daniel. Each week we will upload the sermon that was preached during the Sunday morning service at our New Buffalo campus in hopes that it will serve you well during the week. So sit back, relax, and may you be encouraged by the great hope you have in Jesus Christ as you listen to the preaching of God's Word. Hey, good morning, church. Morning. Oh, that was pretty good. That was pretty good for no warning. <laughs> Sometimes we don't get that good. Um, I'm really, I'm excited to be back studying this text with you. Um, thanks for praying for us. I, when, I'm, when we're going and traveling, we're always praying here and, and following along, you know, as we're going through Galatians. And I have to confess, um, I was ex- I'm always excited to preach God's word, but I was less excited today. Because when I got up this morning, Joe Kaler's preaching on the other, other campus. I read his sermon. I go, that's way better than mine. I want to go up there. I mean, it's so good. Actually, I'm going to steal one of his lines. And I'll tell you what it is because it's just like, I just love, so whether it's Mike preaching or Rob or Joe or myself, we're gathered around the Word of God. You know, and certainly a person, like we all, we're a vessel, but it's God we need. It's his Word we need, and that's what we're tuning into. You know, we all got preferences, but it's his Word. That's what we need. Um, so thanks also for praying for us. I'll do this really general. Um, but uh, so we, we went to this conference in, and, and people were gathered from all over Central Asia where really what we do is illegal in most of those countries. And um, I'm just telling you, you will not hear this. And the Lord is doing some amazing things. So there's one particular pr- place, a conversation we're hoping to have happen that we started two years ago, pandemic hit, and in this particular region, uh, there's not been any legally registered church. It's been a, a region, there's been incredible persecution, but for whatever reason, God's paused it in the last three years. During the pandemic, they received their first legal registration for church to meet. How does that happen in the pandemic? God, that's who does that. And so we're, I'm with one of these guys, <clears throat> and uh, my friend from... So I got my friend with me, and, and obviously, so he's translating, but so we're going to end up going in May uh, the oppor- to that place. The opportunity just opened up. I'm like, if the persecution's paused for three years, so I was with some of these guys um, that had been jailed five times and imprisoned. One guy that I was with two and a half years, just beaten. So we'd never meet there. We'd bring him somewhere else, but he said, you can come now. And so we're going we're gonna to go, uh, Lord willing, I, I have some more with my supervisor. I've got to get some more clearance this week. But planning on going to May. So I'll tell you about that. But, but here's what they said. So again, this is Muslim country. So we've got this, this global conflict going on that's just crazy. And so one of the things that's happening is guest workers, they're in Russia, from Central um, Asia in particular, because the economy is so bad, they're coming home in droves. Uh, actually, there's going to be a famine for them probably in the winter because of what's the, the Ukrainians can't plant the crop. It's going to be it's going to be tough. But the church is opening up doors everywhere. You won't hear this in the news. But in this one particular region, he, okay, it's illegal to preach the gospel. He says we don't have to preach it. People are coming every single week. There's someone responding to faith in Jesus. They're they're committing their lives to him. And then he's going like, "Will you come and teach us? I don't know how to preach the Bible. Would you come? I got all these guys. So I'm like." What do you say? Ah, uh, no. Kind of busy. Uh, you get all these things. What are you going to say? You're going to say yes. So that'll, that'll be in May, and you'll, you'll know more to pray. But thanks for praying. Uh, we were just looking. God, would you give us direction? Open the doors you want. Don't let me push on something you don't want. But he does, and he's working. And as crazy as this thing is, I want us all to know this. God's at work. He's building his kingdom. He's saving people based on his grace. It's not based on anything we do. And we're going to see that in this text. And again, what we're supposed to do when we come into the text. So sometimes you used to come to church and you're like reading the thing. But man, it's complicated. You're kind of like, don't, don't tune out here today. Tune in. Because what we're looking at, it is amazing. And I, you know, I became a Christian as a little kid because my parents became Christians. They, they're the first ones in their family. Okay, so, but what, what happened to me in it, you, you, so it's been a long time. You know how you can go on autopilot? Don't. Just don't. 
because there's more for me to see in terms of how, I don't think any of us will ever understand in our entire lifetime one-tenth of the wonder of God's grace. Or one-tenth will we be able to grasp one-tenth of how much he loves us. And it's not based on what we've done. It's just counter, it's just counterintuitive. And that's how we want to come into this today, okay? So, let me just do a little bit the previously. So Emma's going to come up and read. I saw Emma. Do you, have, do you have the microphone? Okay. You can get it now, but I'm going to give introduction. Okay. So again, we're, again, this is a letter. It's only six chapters. They would have sat down and heard it in one setting. So we're taking a couple months to go through it. So in a sense, we keep pausing the conversation. Do you remember anything? Do you remember your conversations last Thursday? No. So you always have to go back, okay, what was going on? So I want to just do a, a previously, here's what he's just said. Um, and so we're, we use sometimes the word justification, but a less technical word. It's our standing before God. How do we relate to him? And what he's declaring this to the church has had this great struggle because some teachers have come from Jerusalem, these guys that were rooted in the Jewish traditions and what we'd call the Old Testament um, scriptures are saying, you got to do the Jewish laws. You've got some, sometimes where you sort you got to perform these things in order to be right with God. And what, what we saw just there is that our standing before God, it has always been by faith. All the way through the Bible, all the way back to Abraham. And what you're, you're going to see in this, if you're reading it in this reasoning or argument, you know, many people go like, man, the Old Testament, it's, it's nothing like the New Testament. We're just not reading it close enough. And actually, this argument, this reasoning, he's, he's showing us that. He says, no, our standing before God has always been based on faith in what? Just faith? It's in something. It's in God's promise. His promises that we see fulfilled in Jesus himself. It's, it's, our standing is not based on our law keeping. So he goes back to Abraham and there's this really interesting section last week about blessing and cursing. And so some of what that is, it's basically to try to, to measure up to God, to earn this along the way by our performance and good, good law keeping, it's like you're cursed. Because failure is guaranteed. It's just simply impossible to keep the whole law and attain perfect righteousness. I mean, it's, it's like, a, like a horse trying to become a cat. Or, or worse than it, it's actually like a horse trying to become a chair or something that's inanimate. You, 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 you can't do it. Failure is guaranteed for us if we as humans are trying that for our attainment. So what's to be done? It's like, it's like you're cursed. And the way he uses that is actually says, Jesus took that for us. He actually became a curse for us. And that's how, that's how that society would have seen anyone that was executed like that on a cross, that, they would have said, they're cursed by God. And so he uses that word in a couple of ways. Jesus took that curse in terms of our penalty for, for our sin, but he became that. That's how others saw him. And what do we get? The blessing of God. Think of that. He takes our curse. So we're blessed. And he uses that word going all the way back to Genesis 12. I mean, first book of the Bible, we're 12 chapters in. To say, this has always been God's plans by faith. And the blessing of Abraham is the very gospel that we come to understand this way. So he's using these words in a, in a, in a pretty immense way. And just speaking, this here is how a relationship with God opens up. What Jesus has done. So he's exploring all that deeply in this controversy. So now what we're going to do is finish that last section of chapter 3 in Galatians. So it goes back to Abraham where he's speaking of the gospel. He actually says the gospel came to non-Jewish people in Abraham. He actually says that the nations, okay, if he's the father of the Jewish people, what God had said to him, this is the gospel coming out, the blessing to nations. And then what he's doing is he looks at Moses and the law and, and he's kind of comparing them and it says, you know, the law with Moses comes 430 years later. So how's that all fit in the story? Um, and again, in, whenever, whoever's preaching, we often talk about the Bible's one cohesive story. So again, when you sometimes go like, man, I love the New Testament, it's all grace. I don't get the Old Testament, it's all law. 
He's actually describing that dichotomy, how one fits with the other. But just like, just like any story, when you think of any story you've ever read, you don't get the whole deal in the first couple chapters, right? The story develops, right? That's how the Old Testament is. It drops in this little seed, this little thing about God's lover's redemption, where we fell off, but it, it develops along the way. So when people go like, that one's not like this one, it's, it's just the beginning seeds of it. It's developing. So some people go like, I just want to read the New Testament. I get that the New Testament's easier to understand, but do you know that all the New Testament writers are writing based on this? And that's what they're quoting. So you might go, man, this is all introduction. That man, you're too, <laughs> okay. But that's how we see it. That's how they saw it. And seriously, so many people go to church, just don't get that. So we're pretty, do you know why we're pretty passionate about reading the Bible? Because that's where God reveals himself. Not in the internet. Not in your favorite radio, I mean, that's where it's got to be. And I just love being part of a church that actually wants to study this. I, I just heard one of my favorite preachers who's older than me, and, and in a sense, in a long distance way, mentored me and talked about why he needs to read the Bible every day. And I thought, me too, I'm, a, I'm a good forgetter. My heart flies all over the place. I get anxious about this. I, I worry about that. I... It's, I act like an atheist. You know, my heart's drifting off like God's not around. And I know better. That's, that's why I need to read it. It helps me. And it's really what, how it helps me. I'm going back and seeing God's promises and seeing what he said. And I get to choose, am I going to believe that or not? That's how it fits in my day. And you and I are no different. So I, I hope today as we go on this, that, that's how this will be. All right. So again, our, our theme, which is on the poster for this book, in Galatians is, it's a call. Return to the gospel of grace so you can walk in freedom with the Spirit. So that return to the gospel of grace, um, this message primarily, it's still in that first part of it, but he's beginning to lean into the fact where freedom's going to come. It's going to come in the Spirit, which he develops in the last three chapters of the book. But in this, you're going to see, he starts talking about um, our being adopted as his children, the inheritance that comes, and that's, that's the freedom section. So this, this one kind of bridges to that. All right, long introduction. You ready? Okay. Emma's going to come and read Galatians 3, 15 to 29. This is God's word. Let's hear it that way. To give, to give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds it to once it has been ratified. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and two offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. This is what I mean. The law which came 430 years afterward does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God, so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise, but God gave it to Abraham by a promise. Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions, until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made, and it was put in place through angels by an intimerary. Now an intimerary implies more than one, but God is one. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For, it, for if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Mm -hmm. Now before faith came, we were, held under cap we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian for in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you all one in Christ Jesus. 
And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. Thank you. Let's pray. Lord, I, I pray that you would open our minds to understand the central things of this text. Uh, you and you alone knew who would be here, who's online, you know what we need. And so for whatever reason, you've chosen this particular portion of scripture for us today. So we'll trust you in that. And Lord, we ask you would give us the help by your Holy Spirit to receive it as we need and move us in your direction. That's our ask. And we trust you for it. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, I was, I was thinking, I was trying to listen to that like the first time. So let me just make, say something that's really obvious. This, some of this, if this is the first time you read it, it feels like complicated logic, okay? So how many, I don't know how many times you read this. I read this 20, 30 times to get some of this. So what I'm going to try to do is unpack it. Here's what he's getting at. But let me commend these things to you, particularly because I think it's really worth it, particularly in Galatians. Read the passage ahead during the week as much as you can. If you can get here, can I, how many of you were at the 10 o'clock class? Okay, thank you. I just, I just saw a discussion going on. I think that helps also. But again, if I want this word to go in me and have effect, I just feel like that's, it's a good investment of time. And if you can do it, I'd recommend it. And I just say it helps me going through it. So what I'm going to try to do is just kind of unpack this. So one of the ways we do that, I'm going to start with kind of the flow of, of thought. I don't know how you got it, Thad. Let's just put it up. Oh, you got them all together. Awesome. So this is kind of the three, if there's like three paragraphs, this is kind of the movement of the logic. He, he talks about how covenants or promises work, and he uses both of those words interchangeably. And I'm gonna, I'll talk about that. And then he kind of goes into, so what's the purpose of the law? I'm talking about the Mosaic law. But if we get saved by grace, why the law? And then he really lands it with how we gain entrance to, into God's family. That's the last paragraph. So once again, if you're taking notes or you missed something, email the office and you can get the whole deal. So I don't want you to get distracted by that. Um, but I would say that ending is the worship point. So we're kind of following in the, in the middle of his logic, but that's what gets us to the worship point. Um, so this, this is how Joe phrased all this. Did you get that one? Th oh, awesome. This is Joe's words. I thought this was so good. He, he basically summarizes this text to say, the law was given to us to reveal that we can't earn a place in God's family. The promise, that is the promise of Christ, reveals we don't have to. Uh, that's good. I mean, that, that's, that, that's, I'm, I'm taking that. <laughs> All right, so let's go through how the, how the covenants work, the promises work. That's, that's verses 15 to 18. So again, what he does here is he uses these words interchangeably. But I want to I think about how we use words and how he's using them. So when he says um, promise, so we use promise in an interesting way. Someone might say like, hey, I promise I'll come on over tomorrow. What do we mean by that? I'll really try. Man, I'll really, really try. Yeah, Mike, is that what you said? Yeah, that's right. I'll, I'll really try, but you know, something comes up that's more important. So, you know, I might not. But we use the word that way. Let me say, that is not the sense of this word. Not at all. So I know both promise and covenant are used, but here's it is. God's promises are a covenant and they are binding. And, and this logic, as you heard as Amoretic, says, I can't, they, the, the, the covenant can't simply be changed or annulled after being ratified. It's like a legal contract, so I can't just say, hey, forget it. So maybe it's better to think about God's promises to us. Like, how many of you get, got a mortgage? Any get a mortgage? Okay, so I bet your bank thinks of it in a particular, I bet your bank would go, like, oh man, I really tried to pay that this month. And the last month, and I really tried to pay that this year. I bet your bank doesn't think about it that way, does it? If, if, if you did, your bank would have a, they'd have some legal recourse, right? So it's probably better to think of a covenant. Like it's a binding kind of thing. And what he's basically saying here is, if you understand that in human relationships, you can't just annul a covenant. It's way more true of God. It's way more. It's the same kind of logic. Remember when Jesus says, hey, Dads, I know you don't do everything perfect. If your son asks you for bread, you're not going to give him a stone. You're not going to give him a snake. I know that. And he says, if you dads know how to give good things to your kids, 
times 1 billion, your heavenly father, way more your heavenly father, who will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask. It's the same logic. God, even more so. It's a binding covenant. Now, here's what's interesting. What he's saying here is God made a promise of his covenant love to Abraham. Now, I'm not going to read this, but you want to write this down. Read Genesis 15. I'll say Genesis 15 and Genesis 17. I'm going to tell you some of the story. But it's pretty amazing, that whole section, because this is where God has promised to Abraham, I'm going to give you a son. And um, I think it's 15 where he does this. It's just, it's just Abraham and, Mo, and uh, God. And the way they would do covenants in those days, okay, think how long ago this is. He's not writing on parchment or animal skin. But the way they would do it, they would act this out. And so what they do, they do a lot of stuff with animals. And, and you kill an animal, it's a serious deal. So there, it's, it's an animal sacrificed. And I forget there's a couple of them. I, I forget which animals it is. But they... They cut this animal and they divide it in half. So imagine these two halves sitting out there. And the way they would, they would do that in this case is each party would walk through that. And so the seriousness of it is in the killing of an animal, but you're binding it like by your life. I'm, I'm keeping, that's how they do like legal contracts. But in this case, when God does it, so he binds it and then he just has, I mean, Abraham doesn't walk through it. He just sits there looking at it. And like, actually, I think it says there's buzzers that try to get it. And he's, get, get out of here. He doesn't know what he's supposed to do. <laughs> he's sitting there and it gets dark. And then at night, you know what happens? This uh, fire appears, like in this pot. This is the manifestation of God appearing. And that's who just walks through the animal carcasses. Back and forth. Signing, the, Abraham's got nothing to do with it. What's God doing to him? As he waits and he watches. God's saying, I'm making this covenant. This is based on me. My initiation, whom I am, and I'm choosing to place my love on you. I'm calling you, not because you've earned it. Not because you were better than any of those guys who lived in Ur of the Chaldees. They're all moon worshipers. I'm calling you out. It's it's some of the same languages like when we speak of God's adoptive love, when he adopts us as his children, it's irrevocable. Same kind of New Testament language. I'm making that covenant with you. It cannot be revoked. Now, as he's going through this, we come into this covenant by faith in him. His word, his promises. He really is who he says he is. And we're, we're trusting that even though we sputter in our trust. That's who we're trusting. It's not on our perfect rule keeping. Can't attain it that way. So, then he says, the law came 430 years later. The covenant of God, the promise, so to Abraham, Moses is 430 years after Abraham. He's already made this promise to Abraham. Now here's the, the, the law. Does the law change the promise? So I think in the Mosaic law, I think there's over 600 of them. It's not just the Ten Commandments. There's like lots of them. So again, here, these false teachers, Judaizers said, man, you got to follow all these laws. I mean, yep, Jesus pays for it, but that's what you have to do to, be, to come into the kingdom, to be saved, to be God's. And, and Paul's point is out, no, no, God made this promise before the law even existed. So you're kind of like, well, why, what's the purpose of the law? Which is the next question he gets to. But I'm going to describe, I think I got a long quote here. Philip Reichen said this, and just said it in better words than I can. So I'm going to put this up here. He speaks of the promise and the law, these two things. So the promise, think of the promise to Abraham, the promise of Christ, and the law that comes through Moses later, they are two separate, though complementary arrangements. They operate on, on entirely different principles. God made the promise to Abraham. He said, I will, I will. Here's what I will do, I will. When he comes to Moses, he says, thou shalt. Thou, this is some of the command. You shall do this, you shall not do that, thou shalt. The promise sets forth God's plan, God's grace, God's initiative. The law sets forth our duty, our actions, our responsibility. I might say our response to what God has done. The promise of God's grace had only 
to be believed, but the law had to be obeyed. So one of the phrases I will often use is faith-filled obedience. The obedience doesn't gain you entrance. It's a response of faith. And when we see the magnitude of God's grace on us, we want to do what God says. That's what it is. But the obedience is not what gains interest. It came, entrance. It came 430 years after the promise. It didn't exist for Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all those guys. So he just showing this out in terms of God's redemptive plan. Here's how the story unfolds. That the promise has precedent. It has priority. It proceeded. Does that make sense just in terms of order? That, that's all he's doing when you're reading it going like, that's what he's doing for them. All right. Second part, which is interesting. I think he gives us a couple of questions here. Uh, this is verses 19 to 22. Okay. What's the purpose of the law then? Why did he ever throw that in if the promise is already out there? And so he describes that. Look at verse 19 where he's describing oops, get the right spot. Um, why the law? Verse 19. Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made and it was put in place for the angels by an intermediary. Okay. Leave that up there for a while, Chad. Why the law? It's because of transgressions until when? It's up there. Until when? Who comes? Oh, someone said a different word. I heard someone say the word offspring. I heard you say Christ. How do you know it's Christ? He is. Verse 16, he just told us. So a lot of times, you know, when you have questions in Scripture, if you look at it, it'll tell you who's, who's the offspring. Well, he just said it. We, we read it. Verse 16. Now, the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. He's quoting from Genesis. It doesn't say offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one and to your offspring who is Christ. That's verse 16. So we 19 that way. In other words, he's saying this. Why then the law? The law has a function, a function until when? Until Christ comes. That's what he's saying there. So what's the function? Here's it. Here it is. The law showed us the standard of holiness, or it showed us our transgression. It made it very clear that this is your need. So there's a thing, there's a word that people use that they hate to use, they hate to hear, and it begins with the letter C. You know what that word is? That's cancer, right? That's the word we don't want to hear, the letter C. Okay, let's say you got cancer. Let's say you got it. Say right now. Let me ask you this. Do you want to know? Do you want to know? Let's say it this way. Let's say you have a cancer that we know is curable. We also know it's deadly. Do you want to know? Because if you got it, there's a real need. Okay, how about this? Let's say you don't know. You don't have a clue that you have cancer. What happens then? I mean, it's going gonna, it's gonna to run its course. So here's how we need to, here's how we need, this is what the law is doing for us. Our sin against God, whether you see it or not, most people don't see it in themselves. It is spiritual cancer. That's what it is. And here's what the law does. So we, people don't even like using the word sin around. It's just basic. Well, let me, let me just find it this way. Whatever I do, anything, I don't care about God. It's pretty much that. Cause he's kind of like the whole deal here. Whenever you do anything, it's selfish self-centered that's really against him it's embarrassing for me to to admit to you how many times in my marriage i act self-centered i wish it never happened i do that's wrong it's sin it's not just against my wife it's against god it's acting like i'm in charge it's like the center of the world's me I'm just giving you one simple definition, okay? So I'm just saying, this is the normal condition. It's all around us, whether you see it or not. Whether you, whether you know you have spiritual cancer or not, it just is. So what the law does, it comes in, it gives us the correct diagnosis. We wouldn't know it if that wasn't there. We just be, you know, we just, whatever goes, goes. If you don't believe that about Scripture, that's, that's just how... We would live, and that's where the law is actually helpful. It's the diagnosis, it's not the cure. He's the cure. Is that, but is that, I hope that's helpful. That's how the law works in our life. 
It just tells us the reality. Whether we know it or not, whether we want to know it or not, there it is. So the next question is verse 21. He's going like, so is the, is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Well, only if it give, could give you life, but it doesn't give you life. It doesn't. So verse 22. And, and now he's going he's to use a couple of illustrations one, and you heard it in Emma's reading, one is about um, imprisoned, being captive, imprisoned, and another one he'll use guardian about how the law functions. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin so the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. So I want to try to give an example of this a little bit. Because um, I, I think, you know, average people, we, we think we're pretty good. Can I, can I just tell you, I read the news, I could say there's a thousand people writing that newspaper that are way worse than me. So I'm pretty good. I, I mean, that's how most people feel. You know, you can always find somebody worse. The problem is that's not the standard. It's like they got, they got way more cancer than I got. That's what it's like saying. I just got a little bit. It's all deadly. But that's how we think. I'm pretty good. Or I go to Ten Commandments. I read those. I bet I, bet I, I, bet I could do those. Well, it's also from not when someone says that, can it? We read them pretty loose, you know, we're not, no, we're not, te- I didn't technically lie, you know, we just, we read them in a particular way, but it's just interesting when you get to Jesus, Jesus just, he expands the Ten Commandments. And if you want to get a great, expand, read Matthew, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and he just goes through the whole, what he's opening up is God's heart. And one of the problems with the Jews is they were really technical. Oh, I could follow this, I could, and what Jesus is showing us, man, it's in your heart, what matters. And he says there, I didn't, I didn't come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill it. So he goes at all these things in our hearts is really what, I mean, do you love God with all your heart, mind, and strength? I mean, I want to some days I should say. He says, that's the greatest commandment. Man, I fall short. So he just goes through all this stuff. Read Matthews five through seven. It's, it's, oh, and he actually says, if you're going to if you think following the law, the Ten Commandments or whatever is how you're going to get it, he says, your righteousness must exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees. Friends, it can't. And that's just Matthew 5, 6, and 7. He goes through all these things like loving your enemies. And if you don't forgive somebody, your heavenly father won't forgive them, forgive you. And forgiveness is hard. I, we say forgiveness is not a human idea. It just is not. Revenge is. <laughs> I like revenge. I don't like forgiveness. I mean, it just opens up to us the heart of God there. And basically what it's showing us is we need Jesus. We need the Savior. So follow me. It's not only for forgiveness for our shortcomings. It's to receive his life, which really comes out in the later chapters of this book. We're not going to, we'll get little whispers of it here, but it's his Holy Spirit who actually changes us. We won't be perfect but he empowers us to walk this out and live this way. And I'm telling you, that's when you can forgive serious sin against you. You can forgive adultery. I I know people who have. You can forgive sexual abuse that's happened to you. It's when God does such things. You You can forgive absolute betrayal, but you will not get there just trying to do it. It's got to be a change that God does. And the change comes right out of the gospel, right out of who Jesus is. I know that. I've seen that. It's his word. And I'm not trying to be trite on the ways people have been affected by the sins of others. I'm just telling you, that's who God is. It's a change that he brings. All right, I got off somewhere. I don't know where I got off. Okay. That's the imprisoned part. So it's basically... It's trying to show us we need him. And uh, some of us try to be Christians and we, live, we try to live like we don't need Jesus. We try it on our own strength, our own self-effort. Can I tell you, not only is it tiring, it just won't happen. It becomes oppressive to us. We need faith to trust God at his word. That's it. So then he says uh, the, the, the law acts like a guardian. Uh, there in verses 23 to 25, what's a guardian? Uh, a guardian is... Uh, of a minor child, that's how it's speaking here, like we're minor children, it's to protect, guide them until a particular season. So again, if you think of diagnosis, the law is explaining the relationship and how we break the relationship 
But the promise is the remedy, the Savior that we need. So that's it. And the problem is people, and even people do this day, they read the law as if that's the way to gain the relationship. It just isn't. Okay? So I think that, I think we made, Paul makes that point really, really clear, right? You tired of that? You ready to move on? I'm not tired of it, but I'm ready to move on. Okay. So now we come down to that last paragraph, verses 25 to 29. That I'm going to read it again. Um, if we can do that. Uh, next one, 25 to 29, I think. So I skipped ahead a little bit. Um, yeah, the final point is how we gain entrance into God's family. It comes by faith and spiritual birth. And here's where he says that. So let me just read this final part. And this is the worship point. Okay, his logic's all coming down to this. But, but now that faith has come, we're no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are, next word, what is it? You are, that was really weak. I'll start the verse again. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. Now, what, I'm just going to tell you, when he says the word sons, he's not being gender um, exclusive there. Um, in their language, they would include both male and female. But sons in, in their culture, that's where the heir came from. So it's, a, it's saying you're children of God, but in the greatest way. Because he's coming down to, you're the one that gets the inheritance. And that wasn't even true of all the sons in the same way. But that's the language he's using, okay? So don't get, I know our culture's weird on stuff, but that's, that's how he means it. So I might change it sometimes to children, but that's what he's, all right. So you are all sons of God through faith. For as many, stay with me, because I might ask again. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Therefore, there, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There's neither male, no male and female. For you are, what's the word? All one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Now, it might sound like complicated language, but I was trying to pull out some of the things here. Um, the all is an important word here. So once again, remember in terms of the conflict in that church, the whole Jewish-Gentile thing that we've gone through for a few weeks. He said, this is not by becoming Jewish. It's not by becoming perfect law-keeping that is conditional upon our spiritual performance. It's not. It's based on Jesus. God made this covenant. Here it is. It's his initiative. It's his promise. It's his grace. We receive it by faith. Now I'll, get to, I'll come back to that in the end. But that's it. So when he says all, he's speaking to these two strong ethnic groups. How does it come? He says here it's, it's through faith. And we use this interesting phrase, uh, where's the baptism one? For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. That is, in the baptism, you're identifying that you belong to Christ. You are together spiritual family. So let me just, uh, so, do I have this here? And I'll say it here, whether I do or not. Okay, so when he's speaking of baptism doesn't save you. It's identifying that you belong to him. So that's a, that's a big deal around here. Um, we tend to, tend, August tends to be that one time where we do this big lake baptism. But what he said, baptism is not saving you. It's identifying that you belong to him. All right. So in all this, it's God's initiative. All right. Show my favorite, favorite picture up here, Thad. There we go. Some of you know who that is. So while we're flying back on the plane, this is a little Theo that got born on Tuesday. Thank you. On Tuesday. So that's Elisha and, and, and uh, Jordan's little guy. All right. So I want you to think, because that's what he's bringing us to. He's talking about heirs. It's by faith to become children of God. What did that little guy have to do with, with being born? What did that little guy have to do with having Elisha and Jordan as his parents, Cindy and me as his grandparents? He didn't. God takes the initiative in making his children. It's spiritual birth. That little guy can't earn that. He can't do anything, okay? He's got nothing going on in the womb, but just you just be there. Let the, and I'm telling you, the, the formation in the womb and what God does, the, the miracle of that and birth, and when you think of it and see it and all that, you just like, you just wonder at God. And what, all right, take that down because no one will hear anything else I say. All right. But I, I put it up. That, I mean, it, it's, it's a picture of that. 
That's spiritual birth. Now for us, what he's saying is that God takes the initiative. He's the one who adopts us as his children. But friends, we receive this by faith. And baptism, how that works, that acts like the birth certificate. Baptism didn't make him, or <laughs> a birth certificate doesn't make him one of theirs. It identifies him that way. And that, that's what baptism does. So let me just say this. I mean, we'll, we'll do it later on. But if you belong to Christ by faith in Jesus, you should get baptized. You just should. Pray about it. Think about it. Talk to Mike about it. I mean, it, that's, a, it, that's a good thing. Okay. So in the last phrase is this. Uh, 29. If you're Christ, that if you belong to him, then you're Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. All those promises that he made to Abraham. But you be my kids, what I'm going to do, and all that. That's you. All right, so let me loop back up here. Because I, I kind of went through this one verse. You go, man, are you going to say anything about that? What does that mean? There's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, nor male nor female. What's, what's going on there? What he's saying, you have to think of this in its context. Because I think it's really important. So baptism, in a sense, is that identification. You changed identities. That's what goes on with baptism. I hate this. You, you, you ever have a sports hero that, like, changed teams? I can't, I can't root for another, for another team. I so wanted Aaron Rodgers to change teams. Okay. <laughs> but he's not my hero, Tammy. So that's why I wanted him to change teams. Okay, but so when he's talking about <clears throat> baptism, it's way bigger than changing sports teams, right? Your identity changes. Here's me. It's all about me. Baptism, I'm plunged under the water. And the, and the word picture is, I died with Christ. My sin's cleansed, but I died. I'm raised to new life. And that new life is his spirit in me, which happened at conversion, but it just, it's a whole different identity. That's who I identify with. So now when he says this, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male or female. He's not saying there that mean, this means there's no gender. Oh man, if we read that in here, that is not what he's saying. Believe me, he wasn't saying, hey, no more slaves here. In, in the Roman Empire, there's lots of estimates. Probably 30% of the Roman Empire were slaves. So when someone became a Christian, they were not, they, they still, actually, it was a different kind of slavery than our colonial slavery. That's a whole other discussion. But, they still served and honored their masters now as Christian slaves. It's not abolishing that. So what's it mean? There is no Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male nor free. What's, it, what's he mean? There is none. It says there's none. He said, it's not your primary identity. You're baptized. You belong to Jesus. That, that's who that, that is everything in your life funnels through this understanding. I, I belong to Jesus. It's true in everything. It's the most important part of you. It's how you see yourself fundamentally. Yeah, I'm still a dad. I'm, I'm, I'm still a husband. I have a job. I'm still an American. Those are my primary identities. They are not. It's that I belong to him. Make sense? I belong. That's it. It's a mentality, an attitude. I'll tell you this story quick. I remember when this is coming clear to me is actually when I was in high school. And uh, <clears throat> we, we moved around a little bit. Man, I went to a lot of different schools, probably why. Yeah. Um, but I remember my senior, we moved, we left California. I came to kicking and screaming. I didn't want to leave. We moved to a Western suburb. And um, I remember we had a speech class, which I didn't have to take in California. Now I, and everybody hates, you know, uh, okay, I know. Now I'm old, so I've been doing this a long time. I, I'm an introvert. She likes lots of strange people. I don't. I'm like fine being by myself, you know, but I'd talk up in front's a number one fear. And this is probably, this is probably the first time I ever gave a speech. I had to give a speech. It's supposed to be a speech about yourself, okay? So I did something that I don't want to recommend you ever do. Teasing. Don't ask God what you should do in something. Because he'll tell you something, and it's something you don't want to do. So it's supposed to be a speech about you. I just, okay, Lord. I, I was really struggling because I left all my good friends yeah, the whole thing. I, I was actually mad at God for a good while. My parents first, then him. But I asked him, what should I do? And he's like, eh, tell him about me. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> but I was a, a younger Christian, but I really asked him. And I felt like that's what he really wanted me to do. So I got up there. You know, everybody thinks you're cool because you're from California, here's long or whatever. I'm like, I'm no different than anybody else, but I'm not telling them. I'm letting them think I'm cool, you know, so I just... So <clears throat> said whatever, we moved here, whatever. And then I said, hey, I want to tell you about my best friend. 
I got no friends there. <laughs> Big, huge class. So I don't want to tell you about Jesus. I don't remember what I said after that. I just remember what the teacher did in the back of the class. <laughs> so he's sitting in the back. He's taking notes. You know, he got evaluated in your speech. He just put his pen down. And was like, I, I heard it. I heard it hit the desk. But it came out of this. I realized that's my primary identification. This is. It was a big deal for me. It was a moment. And it went on other times, other parts of my life. God just kept growing that. And when I went to state university, same kind of stuff. Yep, got all these other things about me. But this is what he's saying. It's no Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. It's not saying those aren't true of you. It's saying they're not your primary identity. When you've been baptized into Christ, you belong to Christ. And if, he said, you belong to Christ, you are an heir. He adopted you. All that God has, all his goodness is for you. Now, he, it's a bridge. He's going to say way more about that in the next three chapters. So what your appetite? But that's it. I had, you, I had you say the word all a few times because one of the implications is all, all of us that way. So it's not erasing the ethnicity, the gender. It's interesting that Paul purposely identifies, I think, the three most polarizing things that divide us, race, rank, and gender. And he's saying primarily, you, you belong to Christ. You're brothers and sisters in a spiritual family. And that's how we need to see one another. And I'll just tell you, any of you that were here yesterday and watched this church just serve Carol Posick and her family, I'm like, I look back at you guys and go, I love being part of this people. I love, uh, Ian's here. How, how well did you know Carol? Did you even know who she was before? Right. So Ian's up here, ser- people are serving. It's not about how well I know them. It's about I'm serving someone that's part of us. I'm, I'm doing it. And just, I'm just telling you, those, those are small but significant things where the Lord ministers like that. You belong to him. Um, this one city I was in last week, I can't even describe to you the fellowship, the closeness I felt with people. We didn't, not all of them, we even share the same language. But Uzbeks, Armenians, Kazakhs, Kyrgyz, Tartars, Azeris, it was, it was a fellowship that was unbelievable. And so when we're talking, I'm hearing stories, things translated, we're listening to preaching, and something struck me. In the very same city we were in, crossing over our time, there's this big diplomatic convention it had um, Taliban there, had Russians, had Ukrainians, had every nation in the Middle East, Africa, all over. Let me tell you, they didn't experience the same fellowship we did. It's not about people from different countries. In fact, I don't know if you read this in the news, but the one guy defected, the one Russian guy did. We're in the same city. I'm like, well, God, what are you doing? But it was the fellowship factor. I just like, people from different nations. It's not about the gathering. It's not about the place. It's about who you belong to. Same nations represented. Who do you belong to? And when we understand that, it changes everything about us. So how should we walk away? I am actually finishing. Okay, for those of you that are wondering. How should we think about this when we walk out? Seriously. So I do want, here's one about yourself. This is, what's your primary identity? What is it? And it will come to you here, the call, it's by faith in Christ and Christ alone. It's not your performance. And if, if that's confusing to you, Pastor Mike, myself, we'd love just to talk about that more than I've been able to do today. But it, it's wondrous for us. <clears throat> the, so there's one part, how do I see myself? And some of us have a hard time. Because we see our, even right now, our relation with God, shame, di- different things blocking it. There's a way to walk into this. That I would say faith-filled obedience. And part of that is receiving forgiveness and giving it to others. Grace has to grow in us, but it has to be experienced first from God before we can give it well. Okay? That's, it's important. The second part of that is how we view others. Because he's got this rank, he's got all these different things. They're true things. But how we should see one another primarily as brother and sister and that doesn't, that's why I joke, we're just jealous of the Packers, right? Okay. But we, I joke about that because I don't care about that at all. I mean, the fact that they're Packers fans, it has not affected our fellowship at all. In fact, God loves the weak, so I, no, 
<laughs> That's me. But look, we tease about that, but it doesn't matter. It seriously doesn't matter. Now, if I wasn't a Christian, no. <laughs> it doesn't affect our fellowship. So how we see one another, that's, that's got to be like, and really, so it's not just seeing, it's living that out. That's, that, Ian comes here not knowing Carol. He's up there, so I don't know who asked him or whatever, but it's just like, hey, I belong to Jesus. There's a need. Okay, okay. But you guys do this in hundreds of ways all the time. That's why I love being part of this church. Okay, the last part of that. So how ourselves view others. So part of it actually the way we're supposed to come away with it, it's actually just wonder at the beauty of God's grace, of the promise in Christ. Just the wonder of it. We don't, we don't need to perform to receive it. We simply come to him trusting him. Let me say that again. We don't need to perform to receive it. We simply come to him trusting him, which actually is really hard for some of us because we're way more comfortable being in control and making decisions for ourselves rather than releasing ourselves to God. But that's the deal. That's it. And then God's grace comes to us, and we get to live it out. That's really freeing, which is the last part of this book. Let's pray. Oh, Lord. Help, help my heart to receive this word from you every day this week. Help us all. doesn't matter if a person's used to the Bible or used to church or not, God. Your Holy Spirit, Spirit works beyond that. And I pray that you would do that. You know the need of us all, where we're at in our spiritual journey. And for whatever reason, you had us here this today. So I pray that you would make our hearts receptive to that wanting to receive it, and wanting to follow you in faith, Lord. And I'll thank you for how you'll do that. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the message. If you'd like more information about Sawyer Highlands Church and Converge Community Church and the service times for both campuses, please visit our website at www.sawyerhighlands.org. Until next time, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope.